We're going to answer the question, according to the New Testament, who killed Jesus? And a whole lot happening in the Jewish world. We'll focus on that as well. And take your Jewish calls. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. There's no question about it. Jews are being targeted as Jews for murder in America now. We need to confront it. We need to talk about it. We need to face head on the rising tide of anti-Semitism. And as followers of Jesus, we need to do our best to push back against it. This is Michael Brown. It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. And here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7888. Eight eight four. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, by all means, we'll take it up. We have a video that we've posted on our Facebook page on Ask Dr. Brown, Ask Dr. Brown. We did not post it on YouTube because sometimes when we confront anti-Semitism on YouTube, we get blasted as if we are putting forth anti-Semitic ideas. I mean, YouTube itself misunderstands us, even gives us a strike. When we expose anti-Semitism, they give us a strike for the hate-filled content, but we're exposing the hate-filled content. So we have it on our Facebook page, but it is some disturbing clips in the aftermath of the Jersey City shooting. We'll be talking to you about that. I also want to look at the New Testament scriptures. I want to look at the subject of who killed Jesus. What did the apostles say? Did they lay it on the feet, lay the blame at the feet of, quote, the Jews or the Jewish people for all time? We'll talk about that. The president's executive order regarding anti-Semitism. Talk about that. Play some clips for you as well. And the vote in the U.K., Why is that important? What's that got to do with Thoroughly Jewish Thursday? Well, Labor Party has been running very close to the front, uh, and Labor Party led by Jeremy Corbyn, who has been credibly accused of anti-Semitism many times, and Labor Party itself accused of not dealing with anti-Semitism properly. So when you have the growing Islamic population of England as a whole, When for years now, Muhammad has been the number one boy's name in England. By the way, it's within the uh, top 10 for the first time ever, boy's names in America. When you have the mayor of London being a Muslim, and when you have an anti-Semitic party or a party with anti-Semitic leadings potentially poised to take over the nation, it is something to talk about and something to address. Again, any Jewish-related question you have for me, if you want to challenge me on something, If you believe I'm wrong in calling Dr. E. Michael Jones or Rick Wiles and True News anti-Semitic, tell me why. I've also got an article up on our website, AskDrBrown.org, as well as a video where we specifically call out Rick Wiles. Rick Wiles has now claimed that I'm defaming his character by calling him anti-Semitic. I'm calling him anti-Semitic because he is. He's wrongly, (laughs) excuse me, he's wrongly accused me of calling him a neo-Nazi, which I never did. I quoted an Orthodox Jewish news outlet, a website that calls him a neo-Nazi, and I did that to point out how toxic his views appear in the Jewish world. 
I've never called him a white nationalist or white supremacist, although he says that I did. Called him bigoted and anti-Semitic, which he is. His views are just that. When he tells you that, quote, the Jews are going to take over America and kill millions of Christians, that's anti-Semitic lies, and, and it's, it's dangerous stuff. These are dangerous lies. So he calls me out for slyly insinuating that he was a neo-Nazi, which I did not do, and then reinforces his anti-Semitic views. He, he argues in favor of them. So I urged him to stop lying. So why don't you deal with this privately? Number one, Rick Wallace will not deal with it privately, and he won't have a debate with me, won't have me on his show, won't come on mine. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing is these are public sins. These are dangerous public statements being made. They need to be confronted. They need to be exposed publicly. I will expose anti-Semitism publicly. Even if it is from a fellow Christian, I will expose it publicly. In fact, all the more if it's from a professing Christian. If they refuse to dialogue behind the scenes, if they refuse to formally address these things in a public debate or dialogue, you better believe, excuse me, I will call these out. However, we need to call them out. So he's threatening us with lawsuits. You can't bring a lawsuit against someone who has not broken the law. You could not successfully bring a lawsuit against someone who has not broken the law in any way, shape, size, or form. You cannot successfully bring a lawsuit against someone who is accurately describing the actions and activities of another. You cannot call defamation of character when someone is just quoting the words that the person says and rightly describing them. So you can threaten as much as you want. Sir, we're standing here calling you to repent, and I challenge you to a public debate as to whether your positions are anti-Semitic or not, and whether they are factual and accurate, saying ISIS didn't exist, it was an Israeli operation, or that the sexual revolution was a Zionist conspiracy, or other ridiculous charges like that, or the people living in Israel today are fake Jews speaking fake Hebrew. We will call that out. We will continue to call it out. As followers of Jesus, it is our sacred responsibility to do so. 866-348-7884. That is the number to call. All right, so two days ago, this happens to be two black shooters. The previous shootings, the last 15 months in America, have been white shooters. I point out the color of the shooters to say that Jew hatred, that anti-Semitism transcends race and transcends ethnicity and transcends religion. You find atheist Jew haters like Stalin. You find Islamic Jew haters in abundance. You find professing Christians who are Jew haters. You, you find this throughout the world. It transcends race. It tra- transcends religion. It transcends ethnicity. All right? So the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter, October of last year, White nationalist, white supremacist shouting, all Jews must die, and ironically, killing white Jews in a synagogue. The Poway synagogue shooter, a white man, 19 years old, professing Presbyterian Christian, who also believes that the Jews are destroying the white European races, and again, ironically, is shooting and killing white Jews, and then quotes New Testament scripture to justify his hatred and his position and his demonizing of the Jews, all right? So you have these two white shooters, you could say white nationalists or white supremacists, 
one of them a professing Christian. Now you have two black shooters, one of them with alleged ties to the black Hebrew Israelite cult, which is a Jew-hating cult, hating many others as well, a lost cult where people do not know the Lord, do not have a relationship with God, do not know forgiveness of sins, do not know the love of the Father, and they're filled with hate. Hate comes out of their heart, comes out of their lips, because that's who they are. They need the Lord. They need to be saved and redeemed. And how wonderful it is to know that many of them are renouncing the error and renouncing the cult and coming to truly know Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. So this time, two black shooters allegedly involved in uh, killing an Uber driver earlier in the week, then shooting a police officer, then methodically, systematically making their way over to a kosher supermarket kosher grocery store in Jersey City, Jersey, in a in a area now where a number of Hasidic Jews have moved from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Others have moved there, a new Jewish community growing up there. And they go in, ends up with three within the grocery store killed and one police officer. So four that were killed as a result of this. And the shooter has this this uh, manifesto written somewhat ineligible, but says it was God's will that he do this, that the creator made him do this. And, and Rashida Tlaib, Muslim congresswoman, representative in the House of Representatives, uh, she tweeted this out. Uh, it was beyond heartbreaking to learn of what appears to be another anti-Semitic act of violence. The hate growing in our country is toxic. Well, I'm, I'm glad that she tweeted that, but she tweeted out something earlier that was since deleted. This is what she first tweeted out. This is heartbreaking. White supremacy kills. And beneath that is a picture of a 24-year-old Orthodox Jew, ultra-Orthodox Jew, one of the men who was killed in the Jersey City shooting, all right, one of the three that was, that was killed aside from the police officer in the shooting. White supremacy kills. What was she thinking? Where in the world does this come from? Yeah, I appreciate the second tweet, but what in the world was she thinking? Well, we don't have to wonder what black Hebrew Israelites were thinking. This was on Facebook as of about two hours ago when I copied it. A colleague of mine, one of our ministry school grads who's active in ministry in Israel, he found this and sent it to me. I looked for it. It was still there. I reported it to Facebook, but as of two hours ago, so say about 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, December 12th. All right, just check to have, make sure I have the date right. Black Hebrew Israelites, look, look at this. Look at this. Hebrew Israelites attack fake Jews. It must be the end times. Usually when the end is near, our people start to rise up and go after the real enemy. I, I mean, this is... Beyond dangerous, folks. This is the hate-filled rhetoric of black Hebrew Israelites and others. By the way, Rick Wiles uses the fake Jews nonsense. Say, where do they get fake Jews from? Well, it's it comes from a misinterpretation of Paul's words about a Jew as one as one inwardly, a misinterpretation of Jesus' words about those who claim to be Jews and are not in the synagogue of Satan. It comes from that. Then it comes from the the myth that today's Jews, especially Ashkenazi Jews, are all descendants of the Khazar converts about 1,000 or 1,100 years ago, and therefore not really connected to Israel. These are the lies that get circulated. What's remarkable, as, as some of the 
Jewish community went over into the larger community there, which was a larger black community, that some of the people in the neighborhood were blaming the deaths of the Jews on Jewish shenanigans and talking about Jews kill, that's good. That's one thing to say there are tensions in black-Jewish relations and, and that some of the black community may know that some of the, the Jewish community disparages them or speaks down to them or looks down at them. That's un, there are tensions that exist. Understand that. But to be rejoicing that Jews were killed, to, to be talking about Jewish shenanigans, this is horrific. This is absolutely horrific. So you have white supremacy hating the Jews. Black Hebrew Israelites hating the Jews, people in the neighborhood hating the Jews, and it is leading to acts of violence. When we sound the alarm, friends, we are doing it for a reason. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. If you have a Jewish-related question... By all means, give us a call. I do want to get into New Testament texts about the death of Jesus and and address the question of whether the apostles, preaching in the book of Acts, blamed, quote, the Jews for the death of Jesus. Would it be right to look to a Jewish person today and say, you killed Jesus? Or Jewish leaders today, rabbis say, you killed Jesus? Or is that completely ridiculous to make that statement? We'll take a look at the scriptures and think that through together. By the way, In my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, the new revised updated edition, which came out in September, and I'm really pleased to hear readers saying that they find it to me even better than the first edition. And it is shocking, some of the updates, and we were able to get the Poway Synagogue shooting in and and some of the the manifesto of the alleged Christian shooter. Uh, He was the shooter, but alleged Christian. Um, In that book, I deal with some of the misconceptions, misunderstandings of some of these verses that I just referenced, Synagogue of Satan and things like that. And I deal with the Khazar theory and and put that to rest just based on solid scholarly academic evidence. So if you don't have the book, you'll find it in an eye-opening read about church history, but also super helpful in terms of things today. By the way, if you want to get books out for holiday gifts, for Christmas presents, you'd like me to sign them or things like that, there's still time to order from our website and and get things shipped. You just need to do it quickly. Time is short. You need to do it quickly. I need to be here uh, to sign the books. Our team needs to be here to send them out. So the sooner the better if you plan to give them out as holiday gifts. We are reaching the deadline for that very soon. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Greensboro, North Carolina. Chuck, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hello. Uh, my question has to do with the listing of the uh, witnesses in Revelation. When they mm-hmm. list 12,000 from each of the tribes, the tribe of Dan is omitted, and instead the tribe of Manasseh is inserted. Yep. I'm wondering what the significance of that is. Yeah, the short answer is we really don't know why. It, it's a mystery. Uh, to have different tribe lists, that's not a surprise, because Jacob has 12 sons, Right, one of them being Joseph, but then he later adopts 
Joseph's grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as if they were his sons. So now you have 13. So if you exclude Levi from a list sometimes and then include the two sons of Joseph, then you still have 12. Uh, But uh, just looking at one site, uh, I've looked at this before, and there's nothing that I've heard that was definitive to me in any way or like, ah, that answers it. Uh, you know, some will claim, well, Don has to do with hiddenness, you know, Dan in Hebrew, and, and, and that's why it's not there. But, you know, why, why not list it there in other places? So I just typed in the question, why is the tribe of Dan missing in Revelation 7? And the first website that came up uh, when I did a Google search was versebyverseministry.org. I'm not familiar with this website before this. Maybe a fine site, I'm just not familiar with it. And What's interesting is it, is it mentions that there are 19 lists of Jacob's sons given in the Old Testament. And it says, reviewing these lists, we usually find all 13 tribes included, though sometimes the tribe is left out, usually Levi. And it gives examples of this. But why specifically leaving out Dan? There's speculation, but honestly, I don't know. My opinion is no better than the opinion. Well, let me say this. My opinion is of less value than the opinion of people who've studied it for decades and still don't have an answer. And I'm relying on what they have to say. So I I honestly don't know why that's the case. And for me to just speculate in a very weak way, I don't think is edifying or helpful. So if if you dig something up that that you think is worthwhile, great. And this article uh, seems to go through things, you know, fairly comprehensively. Again, there are arguments going back into Israelite history and the book of Judges, and that's why Dan's not there. It just it isn't compelling to me, so I'm honestly not sure. It was suggested to me that was excuse me, that the tribe of Dan introduced idolatry. So I went back to, uh, with the split of the kingdom, and Rehoboam had to make two golden calves. But then I found out Rehoboam was an Ephraimite. Yeah, Jeroboam, Jeroboam, right. Rehoboam was Solomon's son, Jeroboam. Yeah, Yeah, again, you know, when you go into the book of Judges and the idolatry there and various things with that, it just, it doesn't strike you as, okay, that now excludes them because later on they're not excluded in in other lists or references. So it's it's somewhat of a mystery. And again, if, if you just do a search, why is the tribe of Dan missing in Revelation 7? You'll see a number of websites. One of them, versebyverseministry.org, is the one I'm glancing at. And it has some uh, has some useful information. All right, thank you. All right, listen. Thank you uh, very much. Sure thing. Sure thing. Let's uh, let's go over to the president's executive order on combating anti-Semitism. Uh, this was issued yesterday. All right, uh, executive order on combating anti-Semitism by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America it is hereby ordered as follows. And what's basically happening, uh, as you see in Section 1 of policy, a couple paragraphs down, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, and national origin in programs and activities receiving federal financial assistance. So what he wants to do is say, okay, it doesn't cover discrimination based on religion, but based on race. So let us identify the Jewish people as a nation, as a people as well. Now, some on the radical Jewish left are all up in arms about this. What? What? No, no, no. We're not a nation. Why? We just, hey, no, no. We don't want to be looked at as a nation as if we're not loyal to America, the country where we are. That's more of, an ex- uh, of, of a reaction of the extreme left. All right. Jerusalem Post has an article 
talking about why that exists. And, and then and then uh, New York Times reported, tweeted things out in, initially that tied things in too much with nationalism. This is not the purpose. The purpose is to just recognize Jewish people as people regardless of how religious they are or not because many Jews are not religious. So then they are ethnically Jewish. So let us protect them from discrimination based on that and thereby combat anti-Semitism. So the president is announcing this and he, and he sees Robert Jeffress uh, in the audience and he calls him up. Uh, listen to the way he introduced Robert Jeffress. I thought this was cute. Uh, Robert Jeffress, I didn't know him, but he, I watched him and I'd watch him on different shows and I'd say, I like that guy. Man, he talks really great about me and I like people to talk well about me. <laughs> And uh, he was saying, you know, he may not be the greatest Christian I've ever seen. He may not know the Bible quite as well as the rest of us. In fact, he may not know it very well at all. But that guy's a real leader. And he's going to do a job. And I appreciated that statement. I don't know if I should have, but I did. And I think we have led because I think we've made more progress toward faith leaders. We got rid of the Johnson Amendment, which was a disaster. Uh, so I'd like to ask if Robert, if you could say a couple of words, and if I could also ask Alan Dershowitz to say, and then we're going to sign a very important document. Okay, Robert, please. Yeah, so I, I thought that was funny. I may not know the Bible much at all. Yeah, well, that's, hey, truth be told, truth be told. And here's some of what Pastor Jeffress had to say. It is true. I believe President Trump is the most pro-faith president in history. When you look at what he has done for people of all faiths, and Mr. President, you know, Jewish and Christian believers alike believe what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, that God would bless those who bless Israel, and he would curse those who curse Israel. And I want to thank you, Mr. President, for being the kind of president who has the courage to stand up and be, when it comes to Israel, on the right side of history but most importantly, you're on the right side of God, and that's why you are not going to fail, and we're going to stand behind you 100%. Yeah, so when it comes to standing with Israel, that does not mean sanctioning everything Israel does. That does not mean looking the other way if Israel does wrong. That does not mean uh, deifying Israel, making Israel into an object of idolatry. It does not mean making Israelis into saints or religious Jews into saints or Prime Minister Netanyahu into a saint. It doesn't mean any of that. Israel can be fairly criticized like any other nation. The Jewish people can be fairly criticized like any other people. That's good and fine and ethical and right and righteous and acceptable and needed. Let it be. But standing with Israel means recognizing that it is God who brought the Jewish people back to the land, that Jerusalem is their rightful eternal capital, recognizing those things, and recognizing that Israel is striving to be a democratic country in the midst of non-democratic countries for the most part, and it is striving for ethical rights in ways better than many, many, many other countries around the world, in particular in the Middle East, and it means standing against the Islamic onslaught that wants to wipe out Israel. And then as a friend of Israel saying, hey, we differ here, or you need to do better here, or we don't like your policies here, or this is unfair there, great, have at it, have the discussion. All right, so this is significant, this is a major statement, this is a major resolution 
by the White House. I understand that the whole hate crime issue can be convoluted because every crime in that sense is a hate crime. You don't commit a crime against someone out of love. I really like you, therefore I'm going to steal from you. I really like you, therefore I'm going to kill you. No, that's not the way it goes. And and there is dispute about how hate crime legislation can be misused. But given the fact that we do have hate crimes on the book and, and we specifically single out issues having to do with discrimination, then by all means, it should be applied here as well. And the president and the administration should be applauded for this. This is another good and positive thing that President Trump has done. Therefore, I will commend him for it. All right. We come back. We're going to get into New Testament texts. See what the apostles had to say about the death of Jesus. And take your Jewish-related calls. 866-348-7884. And please, will someone who disagrees with me call in? Come on. I hardly ever hear from you. Let me have it. Then I'll respond. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. One of the accusations that has haunted Jews through the ages, one of the accusations that has been used by anti-Semites to shed the blood of Jews is the Jews killed Jesus. And therefore, the Jews are guilty of deicide, killing God. And therefore, all Jews of all generations are somehow responsible for what the Jewish leadership did or was complicit in in the first century in Jerusalem. Does the Bible support that? Does the New Testament support that? As followers of Jesus, should we struggle with that? If the New Testament supports that notion? Or should we embrace it? Or does the New Testament not support that notion? Let's dig into the Word together and see. And if you have a Jewish-related question for me of any kind, Hebrew language question, Messianic prophecy question, question about Israel today, give me a call, 866-348-7884. All right, let's go to the book of Acts. This is immediately after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to heaven, all right? So he dies during the Passover, and then he is raised from the dead that the first day after the Sabbath of Passover, so that's Sunday. And then, so 50 days from Passover to Pentecost to the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. That's the period of time that he is with his disciples after his resurrection. So over a period of, of, of a number of weeks, well over a month, then he ascends to heaven. All right? Uh, then, so you've got, you've got 40 days he's with his disciples, and then 10 days after that until Shavuot, Pentecost. So this is within two months of the crucifixion. All right? So Peter gets up and preaches in the book of Acts. Now, where is he preaching? He's preaching in Jerusalem. To whom is he preaching? To a Jewish crowd that has come from around the world, because this was one of the three feasts, one of the three pilgrim feasts, where Jews would come from all around the world, and those that could make the pilgrimage, and be there in Jerusalem, all right? So there are Jews from all around the world, but he's preaching in Jerusalem within two months of the crucifixion. Let's look at what he says. Acts chapter 2 is the first text, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Yeshua Hanatsrati, Jesus of Nazareth, a man authenticated to you by God with mighty deeds and wonders and signs God performed through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Yeshua, given over, given over by God's predetermined plan and knowledge, nailed to the cross by the hand of lawless men, you killed. All right? But God raised him up. But notice that you killed him. By the hand of lawless men, you killed him. So he's speaking to who? The men of Israel. Then you go down to verse 36 as he gets to the end of his message, and look at what he says. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this Yeshua whom you had crucified, both Lord and Messiah. All right? So a clear indictment speaking to the Jewish crowd from around the world in Jerusalem. You killed him. You had him crucified. All right? Now let's go few weeks after this, a little time after this, a few months, time goes by, all right? The third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John go up to the temple. Lame man is miraculously healed in the name of Jesus. Jewish crowd comes around him again in Jerusalem at the temple. So Peter says, starting verse 12, men of Israel, again addressing men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua, the one you handed over and disowned before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. So notice, you handed him over and you disowned him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. So you handed him over, you disowned him, you rejected him, you killed the author of life, the one God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of it. All right, so here you have it once again, speaking to, quote, the men of Israel, but this is a crowd in Jerusalem. You rejected him, you handed him over, you disowned him, you killed him. Uh, Let's also take a look in Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, Peter there is speaking to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish leadership. Verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you seized and had crucified. So he is laying at their feet, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, responsibility for the Messiah's death. Now look at Stephen preaching sometime after that. All right. Stephen also speaking to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish religious leadership. Acts 7, verses well, we'll start in verse 51. Oh, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised of heart and ears, you always resist the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, you do as well. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed the ones who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Now you have become as betrayers and murderers, you who received the Torah by direction of angels and did not keep it. So your fathers killed the, the prophets, now you're killing the ones uh, you kill, they, they killed the ones who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Now, when the righteous one has come, you've become his betrayers and his murderers. <clears throat> so you say, well, yeah, that would seem to indicate the idea that, quote, the Jews killed Jesus and all the Jews are responsible. All right, so let's, let's first break this down. Stephen's saying that your forefathers— killed the, the prophets who announced the coming of the Messiah. But he doesn't blame the forefathers for killing the Messiah. Obviously not. They weren't there to do it. 
Well, logic would then tell you that you can't blame the people who come after for killing the Messiah because they weren't there to do it either. All right, fair enough. Now, I'm going to show you this in the book of Acts itself. It's not just my logic here, but it's obvious. If you weren't there, you had no connection to it, you're not responsible for it, all right? So, you know, for example, if you live in America in the year 2500, say, or just today, you live in America in the year 2019, and you, let's say you, you came over from Vietnam during the boat people crisis in 1979. So you, you've been here uh, for, for what, uh, 50 years, 40 years, excuse me, you've been here for, for 40 years. Uh, you'd have no responsibility for the African slave trade in the 17 and 1800s in America. Obviously not, right? No connection to it whatsoever, no relationship to it. Here, my grandparents on my father's side came over from Russia the turn of the, of the 20th century, all right? Uh, they're immigrants here. They, they came in post-slavery and unrelated to it as an oppressed people themselves. They have no connection to it, all right? So to blame later generations of Jews— People who weren't there, people unrelated to it, obviously that's completely outrageous and contrary to Scripture. And notice that Stephen doesn't blame previous generations because they persecuted the prophets, all right? They rejected the prophets that proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, but they didn't kill the Messiah because he wasn't there, all right? And they weren't there. But here's what's also interesting. When you look at the preaching later on, years later, outside of Jerusalem— you hear a different message. Why? Be- because the main reason for Peter saying what he's saying and Stephen saying what he's saying is because they're in Jerusalem, the place of the crime, and because people that were involved in rejecting Messiah are right there. And in that sense, there is corporate responsibility. This is what Israel did, but it did it through its leaders in Jerusalem, and that's why the message comes as it comes. When it's being preached a, a couple decades later— in another location entirely, all right, it, it's a different message. L- look at Paul's message in Acts 13 in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, all right? Look at how Paul preaches. He does not say you crucified the Messiah, all right? They may not have even known what was happening as these things were going on, all right? Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who are God-fearers, it is to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, not recognizing him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Shabbat, fulfilled these words by condemning him. So who does he blame? He blames those living in Jerusalem and their rulers for condemning him. He doesn't blame the Jews living in Pisidian Antioch. He's not going to blame a Jew in the 20th century or the 21st century in America. Obviously. Though they found no charge worthy of death sentence. (laughs) Excuse me. They asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. For many days he appeared to those who had come up from the Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people, and we proclaim to you good news. The promise to the fathers has arrived, for God has fulfilled the promise to the children to us by raising up Yeshua, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. All right, so... Notice his message. He's telling the Jews in Pisidia and Antioch what the leaders in Jerusalem, what the people of Jerusalem did through their leaders. That's who he is addressing. Those are the ones he's finding guilty. Now he's urging them 
to hear the message and to repent and believe. Uh, It's similar to this, uh, Acts the 17th chapter. Acts chapter 17, when he's in Thessalonica, verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went to the Jewish people, and for three Shabbatot, so three Sabbaths, he debated the scriptures with them. He opened them and gave them evidence that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Yeshua, whom I declare to you, is the Messiah. It doesn't say that his message was this Yeshua, whom you crucified, because they didn't crucify him. They weren't there. They weren't connected to it. They weren't part of the Jewish leadership that was guilty of it. So he doesn't say that. Look in Acts 28. He's in Rome, okay? Acts, the 28th chapter. (coughs) The Jewish leaders set a day to meet Paul. They came to him in his quarters in large numbers in Rome. From morning until evening, he was explaining everything to them, testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them about Yeshua from both the Torah of Moses and the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, while others refused to believe. Whatever his message was, he just rebuked them at the end for their hardness of heart. That was the issue. Rejecting the message now was the issue. Rejecting the resurrected Messiah now was the issue. That's the issue for the Jewish community worldwide for 2,000 years. What will you do with the resurrected Messiah, whom our forefathers in Jerusalem turned over to be crucified? That's an accurate way of saying it. Every generation of Jewish people, every individual Jew that rejects him, then that's the sin. That's the issue. In fact, in Acts 3, Peter says this. He says, you did it in ignorance. He says, I know you did it in ignorance. You handed him over to be killed, but I know you did it in ignorance. So repent because God has raised Jesus from the dead to send him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. That's the accurate message, friends. Let's preach it and teach it accurately and not in an anti-Semitic, destructive way as the church has often done. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. You know, the, the more important message in the New Testament is that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for us. We don't blame people for the death of Jesus. We rejoice that God sent his son. And that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. And that the Bible says he died for our sins. So we corporately nailed him to the cross through our sins. This is some of the problem that we have to overcome when the Jews get blamed for the death of Jesus, Jews in all generations. I mean, this is a, a real anti-Semitic lie. By the way, I'm just, I'm just looking at a comment from John on YouTube. John, you are 100% in error. 100% in error. You have espoused the lies, the dangerous heretical lies of full preterism. John posted on YouTube, the end of the law is the end of Jerusalem, the old heaven and earth, The church is the new heaven and earth. That's complete nonsense. There is not a verse, not a syllable in the New Testament that says that the church is the new heavens and the new earth. That is bogus, dangerous, gross misinterpretation of Scripture, utterly foreign to centuries of of 
scripture interpretation through the church, beginning with the second century leaders, none of whom espouse such nonsense as that. And not only so, the angels explicitly say in Acts 1 that this same Jesus is coming back in the same way that he went. Where is he coming back to? He left from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and he will return to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, as Zechariah 14 tells us explicitly. Zechariah 12 tells us he is coming back to Jerusalem. And Jesus tells us, Matthew 23, 39, that a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome the Messiah back, and he won't come until that happens. And we are looking ultimately for a new heavens and new earth where there is no sickness or pain or death. To say the church is the new heavens and the new earth, what utter nonsense, massive, serious error to be utterly rejected and repudiated as heretical and dangerous. It makes the words of the Bible completely meaningless. Full preterists also say that the there will be no future physical resurrection of our bodies, that we are already spiritually resurrected. So Paul referred to those who left the faith, he said the resurrection is past, and said there will be no future physical return of Jesus. These are heretical doctrines of full preterism, to be rejected as such. By the way, by the way, speaking of the Mount of Olives, there's still room, but not much, still room on our second bus on the Israel tour. We're only bringing 100 people with us, and we only have 20 seats left, maybe less at this point. It's probably in the teens. So we go in May, all right? The second week of of May is when we leave. It's a 10-day tour from leaving to getting back. Uh, Holy fire in the Holy Land. It is worth every penny. It is absolutely life-changing. Not only do you have the benefit of phenomenal tour and seeing incredible sights with the Bible coming alive in front of your eyes, with incredible tour guides. Not only that, uh, I add in special teaching at certain places, you know, like Mount Carmel, one of my favorite places to teach, where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Uh, and then at night, we, we have activities every night. And yeah, we do water baptisms in the River Jordan. When I was first asked to do it, I thought it was hokey. Now it's a highlight, something I look forward to, just special, glorious. I do special teachings at night. We do Q&A. I've got another Bible scholar and apologist that's going to be with me, an uh, Islam expert as well. We'll do some Q&A with him. We'll do some live radio shows, uh, preaching stuff, worship. So we do that at night for everyone that wants to be part of it. That's what we call it, Holy Fire in the Holy Land. So go to my website now, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Go there now. Get your deposit in ASAP. Because the clock is ticking. May will be here before you know it. And even well before then, we will be out of seats. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Levite in Minnesota. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, yes, Thank you. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah. Loud okay. And yeah. I have a what I feel is a legitimate question for uh, the Jewish people here. Um we, uh, do you think there's a foreshadow or at least a, a process going on of Ezekiel chapter 37? Yes, absolutely. I believe that out of the ashes of the Holocaust and the, the dead bones of the Jewish people, the, within just a few years, the raising up of the modern state of Israel to be a thriving state, and yet one where the vast majority of the people do not yet know the Lord, so that they still need to be inbreathed by the Spirit, 
as Ezekiel 36 says, that God will bring them back to the land, and in the land, he will sprinkle clean water on them. So I believe that there's a a very real application of this. And Charles Spurgeon said, you know, you can preach it in terms of a revival message. I quote this in the new edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. You know, you can quote this as a a revival message, and it speaks of the reviving of the church. He said, but literally, it's speaking of the restoration of the Jewish people back to the land and ultimately their their service to the Messiah, to the king in the land. So I, I see that in process, first the natural, then the spiritual, first the physical bringing back to the land, and then the spiritual opening of the eyes of the Jewish people to Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, but then um, we would need to make the land a lot bigger. Uh, It was nine times the size when King Solomon ruled, I believe. They never did take full possession, so we're talking a lot greater, uh, a lot more of an immense amount of uh, Where did you get the idea that it was nine times bigger in the days of Solomon? Well, maybe I'm saying it wrong. It was the current state of Israel currently is one ninth the size of what it was from when I checked the maps of from back when King Solomon ruled. You no, know, when I read in Joshua and Judges for that matter, they never did take full. All right, so so if you right, if you leave out if you leave out Gaza and so called West Bank, Judea, Samaria, yeah. got it, and then the expanded yeah. borders under the Solomonic Kingdom. Yeah, ultimately uh there will be an expansion of the land, but I don't believe we'll see that until the Messiah returns. I don't believe we'll see that, now, is that full expansion. Be Excuse me? Is that going to be the thousand-year millennial reign when he comes down? I, I would think so. Uh, again, the reason I say I think so is because it's all future, hasn't unfolded yet. It's possible that the borders will be expanded first, then there'll be a, a final attack, and then a final deliverance. But in terms of, of Israel ultimately living in security in larger borders, I don't see that happening long-term until the thousand-year reign, the millennium. Again, it's speculation in that it's sometimes difficult to interpret future prophecy, but what seems undeniable is the physical return of the Jewish people back to the land, as foretold in Ezekiel 37. So yes, there will be expansion, but I don't see that personally happening uh, before the Lord returns. Could be, but I don't, I don't see that. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. You are very welcome. Thank you for the call and the question. 866 Three for truth. Let's go to Pearl in Virginia. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Sir, uh, I I first want to say that 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says that all things are of God. And then along the lines of what you were discussing a while ago, I was thinking about that the other day. When they asked the Lord Jesus about his death, they in the 10th of John, he said in verses 17 and 18 that no man can yes. kill God. Would you say that in the light of Second Corinthians 5, 18, uh, Romans 11, 33, 4, 5, and 6, that mm-hmm. all things are of God, would you say that God Almighty, knowing everything, the pre, in other words, the uncreated God, loved us so much, I'm going to use your word, that he committed on the razor's edge, I know he died for our sins, please don't get me wrong, his precious blood is what gives me life hereafter. But would you say he committed deicide? 
Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate the question and the way you formulated it. Absolutely. Uh, but in, in John 10, Jesus didn't say no one could kill God. His language was that, that no one can take my life. I lay it down freely. And, and ultimately, killing God, Pearl, would mean that God ceased to exist. Death for Jesus was the death of the physical body. It was not the death of his spirit. It was not the death of his divine nature. Death is a physical thing. If I die, it's not the death of my spirit. It's the death of my body. So in that respect, no, I I would not say that. It was the sacrifice of his human life, the sacrifice of his life on the cross, signified by the shedding of his blood. But the, the verse that you point to in John 10 is one of the ones I referenced. I, I, I quoted it without giving the verse, where, where Jesus says, no one takes it from me. So, yes, there is responsibility. And thank you for the call and exalting the blood of Jesus and the wisdom and knowledge of God. God predestined the death of Jesus before the foundation of the world. Acts 4 speaks of it being predestined. 1 Peter 1 speaks of Jesus being a a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Revelation makes a similar reference. This was predestined in the plan of God before the world began. But God worked through human beings making certain choices, and they are responsible for their choices. In other words, God did not make Jewish leadership sin. Jewish leadership did sin. And then Peter said, all right, you acted ignorantly, and God wants to have mercy on you, so repent. And that's the message to all. Whether you act ignorantly or not, the message is repent and turn back. And if you acted in ignorance, all the more will God reach out to you in mercy. 